Good morning, everyone. Somebody asked a question written down. What is it? Ajahn Soko. About uh, speaking on Dhamma, how to communicate Dhamma. How to communicate Dhamma. Silence <laughs> is a direct is a direct one. And this is the historical Buddha, Gautama the Buddha's question when he was in line, how do you teach the unteachable? <clears throat> Teaching you always have to use words and concepts. And so I tell this story many times you've heard about he was going to Saranath to meet his five colleagues who deserted him before he was enlightened. And they were all kind of excellent samanas, meditations and samatha type practices, reaching the highest levels of samadhi. And so he was going to, he thought he would go and find them. <clears throat> On the way, he met another ascetic who was impressed by his radiant qualities, his kind of luminosity, and so stopped him and asked him what he discovered. The Buddha said, I am the perfectly enlightened Buddha. And the ascetic looked at him shocked and walked away. Even though that's true, Buddha wasn't telling a lie. It's not the way to teach Dhamma. <clears throat> because all pronouns convey this sense of a separate self. So if I I am the perfectly enlightened Buddha, you know, one interprets that on an ego as a personality, as a person. <clears throat> so in his meetings are not with the five disciples was the Four Noble Truths. So this is the excellent paradigm, excellent teaching uh, that the Buddha used to they're not teaching Dhamma. It's not like, you know, describing Dhamma. I've said many times you can't do it, but point to it. So, you know, the, just the emphasis on the banal, ordinary human experience of suffering and understanding it rather than trying to get rid of it takes you to Dhamma, because you're developing patience. To understand suffering, you have to be patient. You have to accept it for what it is and see its cessation. Because that's what suffering is, a sankara. So it's, it's, we take it personally, but when you're patient with it, you're accepting it. it it is what it is, and then it ceases, and you're still aware of the absence of suffering. Well, that's the escape from suffering, the end of suffering. Then we think that the end of suffering is ended forever. Once I accept suffering, understand it, let it go, then 
And then it ceases, I won't suffer anymore. <clears throat> but that's, that's the thinking mind, not wanting to suffer, not wanting to, <clears throat> to be free from suffering forevermore as a physical human person. And that doesn't happen. We still, you know, we still experience what we call vipaka kama or resultant kama from the past, from being born. We have habit patterns, tendencies, identities. We have opinions and views that still arise. And we live in the society, we live in the families or in the sangha or in you know, in groups of people, if we can escape to being kind of isolated hermits. But still, even in isolation, you know, you, your vipaka kama arises. So it's, you know, in terms of teaching Dhamma, the language you know, that I found is, is this kind of very Theravadan style, Pali type of explanations. Because they're, they're really, uh, you know, they're, they're just skillful means to, to investigate life, the experience of consciousness. Why is it that life is like this? We ask the question, why? Why does it, why do we have to suffer? But this realm, you just notice it's about suffering, the nature of sankharas, of the body. What we see here at Smelting Tut is about, you know, arising, ceasing. That's the way it is. It's not, not saying it's it's bad, I'm not judging it, but it's a pointing to the way it is. And that pointing, that awareness, is the absence of suffering. If you trust awareness, you don't create suffering. Like when we create suffering, it's out of ignorance, so then it, you know, we, we, you know, we don't want it. We want to find happiness. We naturally don't like. Nobody likes suffering. Nobody wants to suffer. Everybody wants happiness. And so this is, happiness is, is the best and suffering is the worst. But awareness and investigation This whole Buddhist teaching is about investigating, finding out, going to the root cause. <clears throat> Within the mortal conditions we have to abide with till we die. You know, so Buddha was, had to live to 80. And he still, you know, he still had Terrible traumas happened to happening to him. You know, you read the drunken elephants chasing him, his evil cousin wanting to annihilate, kill him, and <clears throat> recalcitrant, difficult monks that cause endless problems, and 
jealous jealousies and fears and tyrannical kings and governments. I mean, he didn't escape. You know, he didn't anything. He but his relationship to the world was knowing rather than uh, complaining about it or trying to get rid of it. So there's, you know, like to make karma, you have to, you have to, you know, karma is what we do, what we think, what we speak. So if we do it out of ego, out of uh, desire for reward, for acceptance, for love from outside, that's, that's karmic. If we try to suppress our feelings, trying to get rid of anger, fear, jealousy, that's karmic. <clears throat> but awareness isn't karma. Isn't you're not making karma, either kusala karma or akusala karma. It's beyond where karma rises and ceases. So taking this <clears throat> position of the puto, the knowing, is you know this like like in uh, Thai forest tradition, Buddha would would use this mantra puto. That's the Buddha's name. And in Thai they say puto. And actually puto. But however, you know, don't worry about the right pronunciation, the point. Is it's a, it's a, it's a kind of mantra. But it's taking the position, it's not believing that you're, you're grasping Buddha. But it's a reminder to be aware here and now. What is it that knows the present? What is aware of the presence of right now? Me? You? You're aware of the... Or is it conscious awareness? Puto awareness, rather than Ajahn Sumedho being aware, you being aware as individuals. Are there any other questions? Well, it's, it's very, <laughs> right now you're aware, aren't you? <clears throat> you're aware you're thinking or speaking. Trust that. I mean, when you try to figure it out, you know, 
what comes first or how to do it, then you're, you're caught in the thinking. You still, you, you have an idea of what I'm talking about, but you're not actually doing it. So it's learning to be aware of doubt of what, what, what do I do? How do I resolve this problem? This is a question. It's a doubt. It's like this. And doubt is, uh, you know, is a, what a great teacher because when you, when you don't know something, when you're, you're in a stage of, you know, you don't know what to do, don't know what to think, don't know how to meditate, then if you're mindful, you're aware, you don't know, there's not knowing. And it's, it's there's still consciousness, you don't become unconscious. You don't have to be attached to an object of sense to be conscious. <clears throat> Consciousness is here and now. Awareness here and now. So like the, they have the three fetters, you know, the four stages of stream entry, once returner, non-returner, arahant, you know, so they got these four stages. Enlightenment starts with stream entry. Sotapanna. And then you've got the three fetters, the ten fetters altogether. But the first three deal with stream entry. And these first three fetters are all human made fetters. They're not, you know, they're like this, the self view. Sakya Ditti is called in Pali. Self-view. You identified with your body. You see yourself as a woman, as a, you know. You've got a. You identified with emotions, with with the conditions you're experiencing. They're they're always interpreted as me, and so that's that's ingrained. That's a that's the first feather, and one of the most difficult ones to come to terms with. Because if there's anything seems more real, it's me sitting here, you know, Ajahn Sumato. Everybody says Ajahn Sumato. And, and, and I can think I'm Ajahn Sumato. But that's a title given to me when I was, like Sumato was given to me when I was 31 years old. I wasn't born with it. It's a, it's a, Theravadan Buddhist Thai Pali name they give you an ordination. Or am I Robert? That's the Christian name my mother gave me. But I wasn't born Robert. That was given to me by my mother. So names are, you know, we, you know, if we don't investigate and reflect on the way it is, then we tend to operate from positions. Like with meditation, with uh, techniques, and and even Dhamma, uh, you know, studying Dhamma from the, through the scriptures, one gets so uh, views, strong views about what Dhamma is, or what Buddha really taught, or what re- the heart of Buddhism, or what is Buddhism and what is not Buddhism, and you can become a Buddhist star through being attached to Buddhist teachings. So, you know, then you become a Theravadan Buddhist. 
And so then you become critical of Mahayana, Tibetan Buddhism, because you, th- you see yourself on it. And, but you can observe that. You think, I'm a Theravada Buddhist monk is, is, uh, what they call samutsaka. It's convention. It's not a position I take or hold to. But if I identify strongly with being a Theravada Buddhist disciple of Ajahn Chah as a personal identity, then I suffer from that. So I remember in my fifth pamsa, I was at Tamsangpet in Thailand's branch monastery of Wat Papo. And I was very attached to Ajahn Shah, you know, I thought, he's the greatest teacher, he's an enlightened master. He, and, you know, and I was thinking, he's probably the greatest enlightened Buddhist monk in the world. And I had an incredible admiration and respect for Ajahn Chah. And then these hippies came to see me, American, young American hippies who were going around Thailand deciding who's enlightened and who isn't. You know, they were visiting Nung and all these other well-known Ajahns at the time, and they told me Ajahn Chah wasn't enlightened. And I felt enraged. <laughs> So I, you know, I wanted to kick them out of the monastery. The hippies, you know, probably on drugs. So, so, uh, but I looked at that, you know, and I began to see how this attachment that, why do I get so angry if somebody criticizes Ajahn Chah? You know, so I asked myself the question, why do I get you know, we get so enraged over that because I'm attached to a perception and I want people to agree with me. I want all of you to agree that Ajahn Chah is the greatest Buddhist monk. And that's what like all this, like evangelist Christianity does. It reinforces, you know, you get together and Jesus is the only way and everybody says, yes, Jesus is the only way. And then somebody says, no, Jesus isn't the only way. And then you have to get rid of them. You expel them. They're heretics. But in meditation, you know, you can, is Buddha the only way? Or, you know, begin to observe your own views about Buddhism. Or about Theravada, about meditation. You know, this. State now where you don't you don't have to use Buddhist terms, you just teach, you know, mindfulness. So it, you see the YouTube these these YouTube videos of mindfulness teachings and and they don't talk about Four Noble Truths or Buddha Puto or anything like that. And then if you're very attached to Buddhism, you you know, I heard Monks and other people say they don't talk, they don't give credit to the Buddha. It's all wrong. It's easy to dismiss anything that doesn't fit into your particular uh, attached favorite attachment. But you can observe that because you know, like Buddha Dhamma, isn't 
it's about the natural way things are. It's not, it's not, it's not a specialty of Buddhism. So, you know, you can, you can present Buddha, Dhamma, uh, you know, it's a, some people, you know, like theistic religious people say Buddhism is not a religion, doesn't have any God. So it's not a religion because religions are belief in God and Buddhists don't believe in God. But it is a religion. So what is the, you know, then you find out what do you mean by religion? And it's, you know, it's from a Latin word, which means that which takes you to ultimate, to the God or to ultimate truth. So in Buddhism we have, you know, we have Nibbana, we have Dhamma is, is actually what they mean by God. When Christians talk about God, you know, in, in, in a mystical, in an, in an absolute way, it ends up as Dhamma. But the trouble with the word is it's personified. It's anthropomorphized. You know, is God an old man, white beard up in the sky? And then modern day feminists don't like to believe in an old man up in the sky. So is it a woman up in the sky? Or is it a hermaphrodite up in the sky? <laughs> so, you know, you got fiddling around with, with Sankara perceptions about male, female, both you know, hermaphrodite images and it becomes ridiculous. So this is where, you know, in Christian mysticism, they, they let go of God, you know, the ultimate, letting go of the word or the concept or the Im images that you create around that word. Well, Dhamma is, isn't a word you can create images around. So it's quite a skillful term in itself. And so, so, you know, I keep repeating about trusting awareness. To be able to trust, you have to recognize it. So, you know, then I emphasize here and now, you're aware. This is it. Before you start thinking, I'm aware. It's knowing the present moment. It's like this. So it's not a mystery or some something you do. It's not trying to become aware and practice awareness. I mean, this is how oftentimes we talk, you know, in, in teaching meditation. But in actuality, you, you don't have to become aware because you are aware all the time. 
And so, you know, but it's awareness in the sense of liberation is recognizing it. Because, you know, the self-view doesn't, you know, it, you, when you start always operating from my practice, my view, myself, you're, the, you know, you're, there's awareness, but it's not combined with wisdom. It's just operating from habit. You know, just that's what how you see life in general. I wake up in the morning, I wake up, and I go to sleep at night, and I eat my meal, and I go to work, and and my children, my husband, my wife, my my salary, my political views are all you know they create uh, in their own conditions, and you're. You know, the awareness is there, but it's not directed. It's it's believing in the objects that arise in awareness. You actually believe that I'm a person that gets up in the morning and eats breakfast and so forth. You know, this is what we take for granted, what we, you know, we don't question. But in investigation of Dhamma, awareness isn't about waking up. When you're asleep, there's still awareness. Dreaming is, and there's still awareness. It doesn't, it doesn't, you don't die when you fall asleep. You don't, you know, you're not aware of objects when you're sleeping. So in, in waking state, you're aware, you know, we look at, you know, we're, we're not in the, dreaming now, but we, we can be in a deluded state and believing what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think, feel, take it all personally and like this and not like that and be caught. And that's the, what we call samsara vata or the samsara, endless cycles of birth and death. So you're caught in that momentum and that's what suffering, the first noble truth, it comes you know, you start awakening to it rather than, you're not trying to get rid of it. But when you, you take your position in the puto, position of awareness, then it's like being no longer caught in the, in the whirlpool of sangsara. You're in the still point where sangsara still arises and ceases, but you're, you're not arising and ceasing with the conditions with the body, with the <clears throat> thinking process, with the emotional habits. So, so doubt is the first noble, the first fetter, and the fetters are like obstructions to seeing the path. As long as you operate always from the self-view, from the ego. Then you, you'll never see the path. The ego doesn't know the path, doesn't see the path, the eightfold path. It was impossible for the ego to know it. But what can know is awareness. So, you know, what is the ego? But you know, you, you be, be, you're aware that you think you're this, the body you have. 
You know, even deliberately think, this is my body. I can be aware I'm thinking this. I can question, you know, I can ask question, am I really this body? Is this what I am? You know, is a permanent human body? And then you know that that it gets old, gets sick and dies. What happens to Adam Samedo when he's dead? You know, what happens to the body? It just, you know, it decays. So you get, have it cremated. <clears throat> so you question, you know, it's like investigation. Inquiry into the way things are. You're inquiring. You're not just operating from assumptions, from beliefs. So then you're, and then, you know, with like a not a non-self, you begin to, to see how, you know, you create the sense of identity with the body. I have to, to, for me to be a physical body, I have to believe I am this body. I have to operate from the position that this is what I am as a physical body. And this is me. And, I, and if I operate from that, I'll never see the path. You know, I might spend years meditating and that and never get a clue of the path. That's sakyaditi, hopeless. But then in terms of investigation, you begin to Observe the body. What what is it that is aware of the body in the present? What now? What's aware? You're aware of the body. It's like this: sitting, it's breathing, it's feeling. You know, you feel hot or cold. You have a mood. You have an emotional state. You know, peaceful or confused or whatever. It's like this. That's awareness. That's not personal. You don't create it. It's not made out of me, or it's not culturally conditioned. It's Dhamma, it's natural. In Thai, in Thai language, they, for nature, they use Dhamma, the, the word itself, what's natural, here and now. So, but the body, you be, if you keep reflecting, inquiring in this way, you begin to, to have an insight. You have a kind of gut insight into that the body is a, is a sankhara's condition. It's like this. So you're not trying to get rid of it or judging it, but it is the way it is. And then to make it personal, to make the body mine, I have to think. I am this body, this is me. The thinking creates the sakyaditi, this ego. But you're aware you're thinking at the same moment. You're aware that, you know, the thinking arises and ceases in consciousness. So I am, Ajahn Sumedho is a thought. And when I stop thinking, there's still awareness. 
So, you know, you, just by this kind of inquiry, investigation, you begin to, you're getting, you're actually getting to the root of it. You're not just creating the scenarios, uh, more complicated scenarios of uh, uh, words and concepts and theories. And the second fetter is Siddhapataparamasa. That's a Pali word. <laughs> and, I, and that's translated like conventional reality, like you're all been, you've been culturally conditioned. So it's not, it's not like an ego, but it's part of a cultural conditioning you get from being born in to your family, your parents, and society, social position, all the acquired kind of conventional identities, you know, you you get that after you're born. So, you know, we we they are ego problems, but they're attitudes and assumptions and positions we take because we're conditioned to think of ourselves as as you know, like being British or or middle class, or white person, or we have cultural prejudices, you know, so we have being a woman is, a, is an identity. <clears throat> and, what, and then how women are seen in a culture is conditioned, you know. How men are uh, inculturated in different societies, so it's different different cultural attitudes arise here, and Amirbhati is a very international sangha. But so much of, like, nationalism is, is about strong identity with, your, with the culture. You know, to keep culture pure. <clears throat> we want to keep the English culture and not have it compromised in any way with any foreign cultures or religion, there's a kind of far-right extremism. You know, so it's a conditioned way of thinking based on silapata baramasa, or attachment to cultural identities, social positions, and now, you know, everybody <coughs> Wants an identity, you know, identity being some belonging to something or other. Where do I fit in? You know, and so it's a, you know, where if you're a mixed race, where are you? You're not European or Asian or white or black. <laughs> you know, what, what, what are you going to do? Now the, you know the. Race isn't a very, you know, it's a mixing. It's the natural flow of sankharas. And, uh, you know, it's just the way things operate. The distances between Africa and Asia and Europe and America, and, you know, you can travel, takes 11, 12 hours to get to Bangkok from London. So is race a, an identity one wants to hold on to and Perpetuate or some kind of sense of racial superiority, is that in, is that is that wisdom? Is that dhamma? 
Well, you can keep England pure, white, Christian. Can you, you know, you might think that's a good idea, but it's a Silapata Baramasa. It'll prevent you from ever realizing the path of liberation. So, you know, and you observe this, you, even if you have these prejudices, they arise and cease. You're holding opinions and views, they, you know, they do. They, they're not permanent. You aren't thinking these thoughts, these identities, these cultural uh, positions, you know, you, you, you know you, they come and go according to other conditions. Like right now, Britain... A confused state about Brexit because there's so many positions and beliefs of those for, those against, and so and so the, you know there's a lot of acrimony and fear and anxiety around what's going to happen, but being aware of that is the important thing. What's going to happen to, is it, are we going to Brexit, leave the EU, or will we stay in, or what's the right, what is the right thing to do? What is the intelligent, proper thing to do? And, and if you're asking these questions, at least you might have opinions, but they arise and cease in the present. They come and go. And that's important, you know, this is where you find in liberation from Silabhata Bharamasa or attachment to cultural conditioning, social conditioning, religious conditioning. We get conditioned by religion. So then there's the Sakyatiti, the ego, the sense of self is a separate personality, person, physical being. Then there's Silabhattabharamasa, conventional, attachment to conventional reality. And then Wichikita, which is a cute word in Pali, in, you know, meaning doubt. And doubt is not knowing, you know, it's unsure, uncertainty, insecurity. So, and this is, you know, thinking, being attached to the thinking process is the cause of, of doubt. When you think a lot, you doubt a lot. And Pacha told me that in the beginning. You think a lot, you doubt a lot. Kit Mark, Song Sai Mark. And it's true. <clears throat> Is Brexit right or wrong? You know, thinking about it, you might prefer one to, you know, one take to another. But what is, what is liberating is awareness of it, that this doubt, not being, not being sure is like this. So doubt is, you know, is attachment to thinking, blind attachment to thinking. Ignorant attachment to thinking, habitual attachment to the thinking process. Because what is Brexit right now at this moment here in Amaravati Temple? 
It's a thought, it's a concept, it's a sankhara. You know, that's, that's what it is. At this moment, it's not taking sides or preferring to, to have it or get rid of it, but noting the way it is. That's the thought, Brexit comes and goes. Try to sustain Brexit as a permanent thought. You can't do it, impossible. But then the thought itself creates an emotion, you know, Silipata Baramasa. So those for Brexit, you know, they, and those against, that's emotion, but that arises and ceases. You know, according in the present, what is aware of the word, the emotion it arouses? That awareness is what you trust. It's knowing, it's wisdom. It's non-personal. It's not like on a person you have preferences as a personality. But as a non-person, there's no preferences. It's the way it is. And to, to actually recognize this is, is the pop. With those first three fetters, when they, when you <clears throat> let go of those three fetters, when those three fetters are no longer, you know, you're no longer attached to them, then you have path knowledge. There's path knowledge right there. It's here and now. So notice that all these, these first three fetters are creations by human beings. You know, did, did God create Brexit? You know, <laughs> the Buddha never mentioned it. <laughs> and, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, so these things are, you know, it wasn't even in consciousness for most of my life here in England. Never heard it talk about Brexit. <clears throat> so, you know, just pointing out it is, is a, is a, you know, it's a creation by the human, human individuals. Cultural conditioning is creation by human beings. It's not tamachad, it's not, it's not dhamma, it's sankara. The ego, the sense of yourself as a physical body, as a personality, is created through thinking and memory and believing in it. Not investigating, but just taking for granted what you've been programmed to think and believe. So they, like, these three fetters, they're, they're, you know, they're not born with them. They're not, like, we're born with three fetters. We get them later, after we're born. So they're art artifices of human, human creation. And that blocks the path of liberation. The way we deceive ourselves and and fool ourselves and blind ourselves to reality. So then the, the, um, then the path 
once you see the path, it's it's a kind of you know it's jnan, and they use the word jnan, jnana, or knowing. It's a profound. It's not intellectual anymore. It's not believing in the path or an idea of the path. It's knowing, direct knowing. Jnana dasana. These words in Pali mean that kind of gut understanding, insight. So that's in the, so then that gives you the confidence in the path and what you do with that, you know, your insight, you know, can be very brief. And then we fall back into the old habits of self-views, because that's what we're used to. We're used to, accustomed to operating from the self-view from our beliefs and prejudices and cultural identities. So that, you know, and we still have, you know, so you don't get rid of of the natural conditions and the vipaka kama. It doesn't just go, disappear forever. But in like the once return or non-return arahana, they've, you know, with the once return, there's still sexual desire, because that's, that's natural. That's the nature of the human body. You don't create, you know, it's not something you create, uh, that humans created. You, it's part of the, the human species. Anger, you still have aversion and anger. This is a primal emotion, you know, that's part of the species. Fear, you still have fear. There's still fear, but you're seeing it with the wisdom faculty rather than from the personal one. That's the difference. You begin to trust in the awareness, but you're not like sexual desire is no longer uh, seen, judged on a cultural level, like, you know, different attitudes towards sex vary according to culture, according to generations. So, you know, dirty, clean, sacred, precious, coarse and nasty, you know, they call these different uh, uh, personal, cultural attitudes towards uh, sexual desire. That's Sita Bhattabharamasa or or Sakyaditi, but once, once you see the path, there's still this energy, the physical body, male, female, and you, you, you can see it in terms of a rising, ceasing, it comes and goes, according to conditions. So you're, you're, you're cultivating, you're using the panya, the wisdom, instructing consciousness with wisdom, panya is wisdom. And then there's aversion, you know, still, because what is anger? It's a kind of protective mechanism, survival mechanism in, 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 the, in the mammalian kingdom, mammalian species. Animals get angry. Frightened, fear is, is another one. Primal kind of, Non, you see them in terms of uh, the 
you know, what they are rather than seeing them as personal problems or right or wrong. So, it's, uh, you know, you're, you, you have perspective. Once the path is recognized, your perspective on your karma, you know, the habit patterns you have, your self-views, your cultural prejudices and biases and identities, your thinking, uh, you know, your intellectual thinking process. You have perspective, but you don't have perspective until the path is, is, is recognized. And that's, the path is summed up as consciousness knowing itself. Because consciousness is knowing here and now. <clears throat> but when we are always seeking things outside, you know, like the ego is, some, is an object in consciousness. You know, as much as you might believe your ego is yourself, it's really an object. Because it comes and goes, it's created. You can't be the same ego on a permanent basis. You know, whether you're, you know, when you're here, you, your ego's like this. When you're with your family, you have a different personality. When you're with, the, in the workplace, you, you're the boss of a big, corporation, you, you aren't like home with your mother. <laughs> the ego adapts, doesn't it, to, to uh, you know, automatically shifts and changes according to conditions. But what doesn't shift and change is uh, conscious awareness. Like, no, the, you know, the world is, is very confused place, uh, you know, internationally. Because of this lack of wisdom. And <clears throat> so what we're doing here, you know, the purpose of Amravati is to, you know, the best we can do is to present this, this, this kind of encouragement to, to encourage you to be mindful. Because that will, you know, individually, it, it helps you deal with your own experience of life. But it also, we're connected through consciousness, you know, so it's not just, I mean, I, what I, am, you know, my meditation practice is just so me and mine, I have no influence on anything else. But that's Sakyaditi again. But, you know, you see, just the, the interest in mindfulness now here in Britain. You know, that wasn't here 20 years ago, 30 years ago. That well, I don't remember when I lived here, you know, people used to, you know, the mindfulness was, was not a, a, something that people were that interested in. In fact, I was even criticized for ta- teaching mindfulness by some Buddhists. <laughs> so I don't know where they were at, but... <laughs> they, but, uh, you know, in terms of Buddhism, uh, 
It's a religion. It's science. Science means knowledge. So they say it's not scientific, Buddhism, because you can't prove the Dhamma. But it's, it's, it's scientific. Its whole emphasis is scientific investigation, but not outward. You're not, it's trying to find out what, what's life on Mars, what would be like, or something like that, but you're observing ego, cultural conditioning, sankaras arising, ceasing. Because that's what's happening here and now. You can do that. You don't need special equipment, scientific instrument. So it's science, it's psychology, it's philosophy, it's everything. Dhamma includes all those, those categories. So when theistic religions say Buddhism is not a religion, they mean, you know, that we don't believe in the same God they do. But then in terms of, you know, then there's conflicts about whose God is, the, is right. You know, is Allah or Yahweh or is Jesus God? And we get caught up into to trying to figure out, think about who's, who's the real God and who isn't. And what's that? Just thinking, speculating. You don't really know. But Dhamma is here and now. And it's not about defining it and grasping an idea of it, but being it, being this aware. This is our true nature. This is the liberation from the human uh, karmic condition we experience. That's 10.30? Namaya Nuvarga Sadhu Dharma